Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Feelin' Film. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this sure-to-be-enjoyable conversation about one of my favorite movies of 2021 is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hey, everyone. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Feelin' Film. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me is sure to be a fun conversation about one of my favorite movies of 2021 is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hey, everyone. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Feelin' Film. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this sure-to-be-fun conversation about one of my favorite movies of 2021 is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. WTF. Hello. (laughs) Patrick, this is going to sound really strange, but are you experiencing a temporal anomaly in your life? I think so. I think something's happening. I don't know. I can't explain it. And hopefully if it's a black hole, I could just go to Japan and it makes it all better. (laughs) It didn't work though. (laughs) No, it didn't. That's right. It didn't. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Oops. All right. Well, that's enough fun for us here to start. Since we're talking about a time loop movie, we just kind of had to. The Map of Tiny Perfect Things released exclusively on Amazon Prime Video early in 2021. And I think it is an underseen gem a lovely modern rom-com that uses the time loop formula to tell a beautiful story about relationships, the way we spend our time, and ultimately deals with grief. For me, the film itself is one of those tiny perfect things. We highly recommend you check it out, and you can for free if you're an Amazon Prime member right there on their site. Anyway, on to the main conversation now. Hopefully we answer the burning question of, is time just a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff? as posed by this film by way of Doctor Who. I love I love the science behind it. Just trust the science. <laughs> it's so good. References. Oh, references are so good. Okay, spoiler alert for real. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. We are going to talk about it in depth, and it's got a great story, and you should experience it for yourself the first time all the way through. So go do that, and then come back and listen. Well, where I want to start, Patrick, is at the beginning. The opening of a time travel movie, in this case, or the moment when the character is shown to be living in a loop, whenever that occurs, has a really important job in a movie like this of hooking us in and making sure that that character is compelling enough to want us to follow through a timeline over and over and over with them. It's not easy. It's something that you really have to have a a charisma And you have to be able to, unlike me at the beginning of this episode, sell this unique facet of what it's like to subtly go through this day over and over and these different emotions that you experience along that journey. And so I kind of wanted to ask you right off the bat, like, this movie gets right into it. We learn about Mark being in this timeline. We don't know yet what's going on. We're just following through him, getting to know him. How did that work for you as we go through meeting him up till the point where we're like, oh, that's what's going on. Well, it's really charming. And I think that there's this fantastic technical aspect of this continuous one shot almost. I don't know if it ever cuts in that opening scene. Of course it has to because he's going from scene to scene or or setting to setting. But there are these periods where the camera just follows him. And what you see is this comfortableness, comfort 
comfortableness, <laughs> this comfort level that he has where he's done this so many times that it's just like breathing. And when this movie came on our radar for the show, of course I hadn't seen it yet. It was one of the blind spots of 2021. And I remember you recommending it to me shortly after you saw it last year saying, this is one that you'll definitely enjoy. You know, schedules keep me from seeing a lot of things. And so I have to really make time for that. The podcast is obviously a great excuse to watch movies. So I'm grateful for it for this among a number of reasons, but not really knowing the premise of it was even more interesting. So the title, I just kind of went into it blind and I said, Hey, this looks like a lot of fun. It's a couple of kids. The image that we chose for our banner, you know, when I was drinking a Slurpee and I'm like, okay, well this looks like a fun little coming of age movie. And so I really didn't have much of an understanding of what the movie was about going in. So it was kind of weird. I was like, why is this guy knowing exactly what's going to happen next? What, why does he have these tongs? Oh, he's going to pull that lady's skirt down. Wait, how did he know about that? And so by the time we get to that opening, the end of that opening sequence, I start realizing, okay, he's living this day over and over again. And so there's this level of charm and charisma that, really lives in that opening scene because you're able to get to know him. He doesn't come across as arrogant. It's just, this is the life that he is choosing to live because of the world or the day that he's living in. And the choreography I think is on full display here, how he gets onto the truck, how he catches a falling dish, how he allows a person to walk before him or he provides these directions to this girl that he eventually is trying to <laughs> trying to flirt with and get a date with knowing that every day she has to go somewhere or she chooses to say no to him and the day ends in the same way as well where he's sitting on a roof and right at midnight everything just resets and watching that it allowed me to take the element of time travel that I've been so familiar with, with Edge of Tomorrow, with Groundhog Day, and not really turn it on its head, but just interpret it differently. And time travel has this ability, in particular the movies that deal with time travel, to ask the question, what would you do? This is no different, but it adds this other great element to it that goes beyond Edge of Tomorrow and Groundhog Day. It adds a second person. And it said, what if a second person was just like me? How would that look? And then we're off to the races once he meets her. And so that opening 20 or 30 minutes is so crucial, Aaron, because it's not just that we're getting to know these two characters. It's just that we're getting to know kind of a refreshing premise on time travel. We've seen the stories about someone getting stuck in a day, and we love those stories, how they deal with it, what they're dealing with. And really answering the question, why are they in it? All of that felt brand new. It felt like a definite fresh take on this kind of story. And, and those are hard to come by. So to take it to a coming of age story, to take it to a charming, fun screenplay type story, that's what I thought really pulled me in because I wasn't just watching Groundhog Day 3.0 or Edge of Tomorrow 2.0. I was experiencing the map of tiny perfect things and it was great. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was sucked into it. And that's why I've championed it 
all year long. As I've watched it various times throughout the year, it's become like a rewatchable for me. And it was in my top 12 of the year. And that's the reason. And part of it is that script. I think that the script is brilliant. I think it is so modern and so smart and clever and just fresh. I love that word that you're using there because it doesn't feel like the forced kind of comedy sometimes get. There's nothing vulgar in this movie. Even the romance is really casually played, which we're going to talk about once we discuss their relationship. But that opening scene, yeah, the one take aspect of it, I agree. Like it's intentionally shot following him with the camera. And it's a really interesting visual way to go about that and walk through his life and what this day looks like. And we don't know that it's a routine yet until later. And I think that's what makes it more interesting is as you're kind of, once you get to that point where you realize that in hindsight, it's even neater, even though you've already seen it. And I love how we learn about Mark being a good person. This is one of my favorite things in the film is that he's not a jerk who's trying to become a better person. That is such a typical hook, right? Is like the protagonist has some sort of thing that they need to learn in order to get out of this loop. And that's not Mark. He helps people. Yeah, he's trying to get a girl, but it's not like he's in the loop and that's the reason for him being in the loop and he's trying to do it. Like he it's it's a byproduct for him. But he's just a typical nice teen who looks out for other people along the way of his daily life. And he is trying to make the most of his experience and have fun. He also is not doing things that I feel are hurtful to other people just because he can. That's one thing I love about this as well is the events that we see them go through and the way that they spend their time, they're not trying to impact other human beings. It's almost like they're really staying in their bubble for the most part. You don't see the things they do influence the humans around them very often. It's pretty rare. I love that we end with him getting into his best friend's house and we meet Henry who is one of the big highlights of the movie for me as well is his like reoccurring uh, popping up and the kind of metaphorical movie within a movie that's happening with the fact that Henry's playing this first person shooter video game and we get all this talk about respawning and he's looking for this key and he can't get through this level because he's stuck because he doesn't have a map. And this first conversation is so great because there's tons of little well-written references that don't go overboard, but it really sells that nerdy kind of modern teenager culture. They talk about Batman. They talk about Star Wars. They talk about Edge of Tomorrow talk about getting a girl, they talk about Groundhog Day. It's just a fantastic conversation, I think, that opening one. They're talking about, Henry's very smart, and he's like, oh, so okay, hypothetically this happens, what are you going to do? How would you solve this? Well, you have to iterate, right? You have to try this, this, and this. And then Mark's like, yeah, well, what if that doesn't work? And he's like, well, there's infinite possibilities to break out of it. And then they kind of pause, and they're like, but that also means there's infinite possibilities of getting 
stuck in it, right? And it's just a fantastic way that they come together. And he has this buddy that he's trying to problem solve with, even though his buddy's going to forget about it the next day. And I, I like the optimism that Mark has throughout most of the movie. I mean, he doesn't really fully lose that. I don't ever feel like he gets to the point where in a lot of these films, Patrick, we end up with the protagonist getting to a point where they're just like, I'm miserable and I want to kill myself. And they're literally trying to kill themselves to end the loop. And I never see that from Mark. He does it like casually because he knows he's coming back, but there's a different tone, if that makes sense, than yeah, what he, we see in like a Groundhog Day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's his friendship with Henry initially that is what helps sustain him. He looks at this loop as an opportunity. I don't think he ever loses the fact that it looks like an opportunity for him to get a girl, to save a life, to make life better for someone or something, to try different things. I think that Mark looks at living in this loop as a gift, and he is content, to be honest, until he meets Margaret. Now that contentment changes to something else, but I don't think he ever gets unhappy or regretful or bitter or anything like that. I just think that he's found something else to live for beyond himself because here's someone else who shares something with him. She shares this perspective of living this day over and over again and providing opportunities to be able to really experience it differently. Henry, I think, represents an anchor for him because he knows he can have this conversation unbiased without any kind of judgment. And I say that not because Henry resets every day. I think Henry, eventually he tells him, I'm living in a loop. And Henry's not like, you're crazy. Henry's like, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Now, whether or not he's playing along, I never pick up from Henry that he is a pessimist. I think that Henry and his friendship is, is very much one of those where they just trust each other. They've had this kind of history together. Um, what's interesting to me is I don't know when his relationship, like when this loop started for him and what the history with Henry was prior to this. That, that, was, that was an interesting question that I had in my head of like their relationship didn't stop. It just kind of stalled and repeated because of this day. But I feel like they must have had such a significant friendship before that, that him being able to jump into Henry's room while he's playing this game and talk through all this philosophy stuff, that would probably be no different than what it was like before the loop. And I think that's comforting to him. And I think that even though Henry resets, respawns every day for, for someone like, like him, I think it serves as a level of comfort that he can always go back to. That's a great point. I agree. You, you don't get any pre-time loop stuff with him. That's the other thing is it is in it from the very beginning, which is, I guess, I'm trying to think, does that, does Edge of Tomorrow start that way and go back? Or no, it doesn't. He starts by getting recruited and then it's on the beach where the loop starts happening when they assault the beach. So this is very unique in that it literally drops us into the loop just full bore. And, and it is cool to think about that and how it, this is any other day. So therefore, he must have just walked into his house to play video games like he would have done that day 
and that's their relationship. It, you, it tells you they have a really good one for sure. It's a it's a great friendship, and it's not based at all on the time loop stuff because Henry couldn't possibly have any understanding of anything else that's going on. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Peter and Ned in the uh, in the Tom Holland Spider Verse, where you have yeah, this it's just a really fun relationship where they just understand each other. They can finish each other's sentences. It's just this buddy friendship that we get to see on full display throughout the whole movie. So Henry's the guy on the couch instead of the guy in the chair. It exactly. Works. That's exactly right. Yeah. There's also a taxi driver reference that's really funny in this movie when he is shaving his head and trying to get her to respond oh, yeah. to his he's text. The and he's like, he sends one with a mohawk. And she go. she specifically says, like, meet me at the library in 20 minutes. You shouldn't have any trouble getting a taxi. And... <laughs> <laughs> and that's the point is that he looks like Travis Bickle. And I think it's, I think I said that because he got his name right. And he was like, you know, he pauses and he's like, maybe tomorrow. Because <laughs> he's like embarrassed by the law. But it's strictly a taxi driver reference. And I think to have like that in there with Batman, it's kind of a, the movie is really connecting to different age groups at the same time. The writing is just great. I'm pretty sure it's Lev Grossman who wrote this and he has written some other YA stuff that you and I have read. Yeah, he, he did the magicians. He was part of the. He was the writer for is. the magicians, and yes. then the uh, and then the director. He did. Uh, oh, now my mind's gone blank. Your mind went blank. Well, <laughs> I'll look it up in a second. No, it's <laughs> he did Sierra Burgess as a loser, which is really really oh, good. Yeah, and it's that okay. same charming tone that that I fell in love with that movie. Uh, it's it's such a phenomenal one, and that's on full display here as well. So I want to before we continue with the story tangent here and ask this question and i wrote down this in the notes that we might have answered this on other podcasts we've done about time loop movies because i think we've done we've done groundhog day we've done edge of tomorrow i don't think we talked about palm springs on here but we've done several and so i want to ask this anyway and if we've answered it before well we're different people today than we were then this is not a time loop so maybe you'll get different answers but what would you do with your infinite time so if you're mark you wake up tomorrow and it's today again, I guess we should say. How would you, let's make it a weekend because going to work would suck. So what would you do with your infinite time? Would you try to learn math or try to math your way out of it, do you think? Or what would your plans be? Well, I, I love the concept of he him saying, and this is one of the few pessimistic moments that, that he says this, he goes, why would we do anything that extends beyond taking 18 hours? Because that's really all we have. And he's not wrong. But I love the fact that the movie introduces actual travel. So for their experiment, or what ends up being his experiment, to cross the international dateline in a 16-hour, 17-hour flight, and while well, it was a failure, the ability to actually travel to go somewhere, I think I would do that. Like, I think I would try to fly to Hawaii or fly to someplace that I've never been and really just try to travel to different places and experience a few hours of whatever that is. If I had to stay local, I would definitely learn something. I'd learn to draw. I thought that was kind of cool. These little pockets of, of talents that allow you to just continue to learn and, and do and, and, and grow. Um, I don't know of anything beyond learning something that would be interesting because you're limited. And that's the thing is anything I would learn 
I would want to be able to push that forward in some way, shape, or form. And, and drawing to me, photography, things that are hobbies that give me pleasure, I think that would probably be what I would spend a lot of my time with. Because as much as I love the altruistic side of things and being able to take care of folks, I know that if I woke up the next day, which is the same day, and I choose not to go to that park where that guy's going to trip over that stick and break his leg, I don't want that on my conscience to feel like I have to do that every day. <laughs> you know, I have to say, okay, I've got to make sure that that guy's life is saved just for today, knowing that the very next day he's going to do it again. So while that would be nice, those are really just pockets of moments that would be entertaining and would make me feel good in the short term. And so ironically, the things that would be long-term benefits for me personally are the things that are the most selfish, like drawing or learning how to play an instrument or, you know, going to experience something for myself. Yeah, I think you're nailing it. This is actually kind of a depressing answer if you really think about it for that reason, because I was like, oh, all of these things I might enjoy doing, but they do require the joy from them really comes from a long-term response. So podcasting, it's going to get me nowhere. If the episode disappears the next day, what's the point? And there are so many things. It's, it's funny because I think of myself largely as an introvert who is fine in most extroverted situations, but there are so many little things that are tied in my life to where I would want interaction. And if that interaction doesn't exist beyond that time frame, it would crush me. And so having a conversation with someone, I'm not the kind of person who would want to have it over and over and over. That would drive me absolutely bonkers, honestly. It would make me go crazy. So I would probably find myself withdrawing into a bubble, watching every single film that is in existence, which has no true long-term value or would lose its accumulation of value pretty quickly because it would be so much on repeat. And I would ultimately default to the only thing that I could potentially find to get me through and have long-term value would be that education piece. Like you're saying, that's the only thing. If, if all you can bring with you is knowledge and skills that you acquire then that would be it. It would be learning to do something tangible like draw or reading encyclopedias or going to a math class. And I mean, I guess that would, you'd have to go to a bunch of different math classes because it would be the same math unit every single day in which really wouldn't help you much. But you would just trying to accumulate knowledge and to have as many somewhat experiences as you could. You know, whether that's driving the, machine down the street that you know flattens the road or whatever the heck it is that they're driving i was like <laughs> the steamroller thing i was like what in the world is going on right now An and how did or something <laughs> you steal that like where were the construction workers at that did, did they just did you hit them on the head i don't know anyway yeah, infinite I would, days to figure it out so <laughs> that's true yeah i would definitely want that and i think the problem with even forming a relationship would be, let's say I was able to have this magical moment of meeting someone, connecting with them, and really having an instant bond in those 18 hours. 
for that to disappear the next day, I think that would hurt me more than it the benefit I would get in the 18 hour period of it working, knowing that it would be gone the next day and I might not even be able to replicate it. And even if I did, I would only get to the same point of ending. It, it just, yeah, it would be horrible. I can see why people would quickly want to just kill themselves and just die and well, make it yeah. end. There's an irony in the fact that as individuals, our most significant, meaningful moments are with others for the most part. That community is something that, that we need, whether it's with friends or with spouses or with kids. That's something that we're all desperately needing. And some of these movies, these time travel movies play into that, how there's this kind of, I've tried everything, I've learned all these things, and yet it's not worth it because I don't have the girl or I don't have that relationship. And so what you're hitting on is very honest and very much a true statement. At the same time, I've watched enough of these and feel like I can say this after watching Tiny Perfect Things that I would want to spend, if optimistically I believe that at some point I was going to get out of this loop, I would want to spend as much of my time learning something for myself, watching a movie, becoming a better filmmaker, or becoming a better drawer or musician. Because at some point, if I believe the loop ends, I still have all of that knowledge. And I've now gained an infinite amount of knowledge that would be not only beneficial to me, yes, but also beneficial to the world. You know, if I studied on my own medicine or some kind of thing that I knew would be beneficial and the world was my operating table, I could rescue that dog every day or I could perform heart surgery on that woman who, if I failed the first day, Maybe eventually I'll get it and she'll live. Oh, well, now, sorry. Oh, well, yeah, it's like operation over and over again. And so in some ways, I feel like watching Map of Tiny Perfect Things has given me permission to say, yeah, it's cool to be selfish because ultimately everybody gets out of the loop. I don't think there's any movie. This is something that kind of got me curious about this movie is it got me wondering if they were ever going to get out. This was going to be one of those movies where they were just going to perpetually, perpetually live in this world and that's how the movie was going to end that there was really nothing that we could do i mean that obviously it didn't do that and the story you know went where it did but i think there's something kind of selfishly beautiful about doing things for yourself knowing that if there's ever a chance for time to restart you have something to offer the world as a result of this sort right. of practice arena as opposed to trying to build these relationships that you know don't go anywhere because you yep. only have a day's worth of friendship and that's not enough. Well, I love that Mark tries that. He talks at the very beginning about how he wanted to cure cancer and he and Margaret's like, don't you think your aim is a little bit high with that? Maybe you like bring it down a foot. notch. Your athlete's foot. <laughs> I love their dialogue <laughs> so much. So much. Like, I want someone in my life. Like, if I'm going to have another relationship ever, like, I need this. This is, to be honest, it is a very good snapshot of, like, what Aaron would want in a significant other. Uh, you know, I, there are movies that are very romantic that I absolutely adore. La La Land, of course, is one of them. But me 
I can't see myself in those characters in the way that I see myself in these two characters, which I don't know what that says about me because they're in high school. So I guess there's that. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Well, before we talk about Mark and Margaret, which is the big piece of this movie, obviously. The other relationships in the film, we talked a little bit about Henry. He also has like a bitterness going on for his father that is ultimately dealt with. And then he has this indifference to his sister. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on kind of like the side supporting characters and how you thought that they played a role in this. And were they necessary? Did they add to it? Did it work? No, I thought they were great. And I think it's it's these pockets of conversation that make them better. They don't feel thrown in just for the sake of having him play off of someone. There are significant conversations that round out these characters. The conversation with his sister revealing about the fact that his dad didn't quit his job. He was actually fired. And the fact that his sister does love him, but that they have this kind of tepid relationship. I think that there's enough screen time for these two characters in particular that the amount that we get is enough kind of proportion to to what their importance is. So the movie doesn't sell us on the fact that he has to reconcile with his family. That's not the point of the movie. So therefore, we don't get a lot of time with him and his dad or with him and his sister. But the time that we do get helps kind of resolve some of that tension that we sense in that first third of the movie. So being able to to see that sort of play out, seeing him at his sister's soccer game and actually having an effect on the outcome, I thought was fantastic because it really reinforced the fact that he's not just an observer. He's not just kind of going through and isn't able to change things. No, for one day, he's able to change the outcome of a sport. But for his sister, I think it was just more about him being there. Same thing with his dad at the breakfast table when he was asking about that Civil War book and just seeing his dad light up and say all this stuff that really he doesn't care about, but he cares about his dad. I think that whole sequence and that followed with the soccer match gave us a chance to kind of get some reconciliation between him and his his dad and his sister. So it was just enough. I felt like they were in the film enough to help justify that for me. And um, they were they were equally charming. Agreed. I didn't think that there was too much of them. I definitely like them being involved and adding a little bit of nuance to Mark's character. While I mentioned, you know, I didn't want him to be a complete jerk. This is an area where we see like he's not perfect. He shouldn't be a perfect human being. He should have flaws. And in this case, the loop is going to help him break out of a flaw. It's not the reason he's in the loop. It's not the thing that he's there to learn. But him being in it, he takes advantage of that and is able to then grow as a person in a way that is beneficial to him and those around him that are closest to him, his family. I do too. I think it's really sweet because he does learn about his dad's book and he's holding this, you know, bitterness toward him about the fact that he quit his job to do this book and doesn't understand why. It's also interesting to me the way that they use his mom because we see her leave for work at the beginning of the movie. And it's very realistic because it's 
accurate. If she was leaving for work that day and she doesn't stay at home like his dad does, when would he see her unless he literally went to her workplace? Because that's her loop. And so at first, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, man, why does mom never get to be a part of this story? But it's because she's not there. And that's very normal. Like you would have people in your life that would have other things going on and they wouldn't be able to be like you and I, if you and I got caught in a loop, who knows what you would be doing? You have a very structured day of work and then maybe you have Taekwondo. You may be in a very, you maybe not even going to hear from you in my loop if you don't check Voxer, you know what I mean? Like, so that could be awful for me. (laughs) If I ever get in a loop, I need you to understand that, uh, get out of that. (laughs) Well, if you're ever in a loop and you need connection with me, we just need to make sure that we check in the same time every day. So that way, you know, at seven Oh five, you're going to get at least one conversation with me through Voxer. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. What? I was going to say, so it can't possibly be that I just accidentally took a little too long in the bathroom. It must be that I'm in a time loop if I didn't answer. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably what it is. <laughs> I think that the things that you're bringing up are also the things that are called attention to either through dialogue. And they sort of help us as an audience sort of go, yeah, yeah. Because I had that same thought of like, why in one of the days does he not go visit his mom? Because at some point he says to Margaret when she comes over to hang out with him, he says, she says, you know, what does your mom work? And he says, yeah, she leaves early and she doesn't get home till late tonight, um, which kind of sucks because I never get to see her. And I was waiting for that day or that moment where he was going to wake up early enough that he could connect with her. And of course it's these sort of MacGuffins throughout the movie. You're like, Oh, maybe it's because he needs to hug his mom and that's going to close the loop. Maybe that's what he needs. But of course that's not it. It's just another part of his day. But just like these other supporting characters, we got enough. We never got dialogue between him and his mom because he didn't have a conflict with her, but we did get to see him at least once give her a hug and spend a few moments with her. Another tiny perfect thing. That was a perfect moment for him to be able to create that for himself. And uh, and I was glad that we got to see that because it was definitely consistent with how he was learning and understanding what it meant to really have his kind of carpe diem moments. It's also great in juxtaposition to what Margaret is dealing with and her mother, who we also never see. And it's for two very different reasons. And the fact that there's an acknowledgement and understanding. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you have a friend who loses a parent? I think it's pretty natural to want to call your mom or your dad and just check in or send them a text and say, hey, just want to let you know this thing about you. I love you. It's that subtle way of like, hey, I'm grateful that you're still around today. and it's not always going to be the case and and it's acknowledgement of that. And there's beauty and there's importance in that. It's good to have those reminders. I mean, life is fast. Life is busy. Got a lot of things going on. I don't talk to my dad every day. Sometimes I don't talk to my dad every week. We're in different States and you have to be intentional about those things. And so anything that is like a reminder of that is a good thing and is not to be, you don't need to feel guilty about it. 
take the moment for what it is. It's a tiny perfect thing and, and say hello. Say, hey, I love you. Give her that hug. So yeah, I think it's great. I love the way that the characters are worked in here without overtaking the story in any way, shape, or form. They're just perfectly placed. But Mark and Margaret, that's the key. I think I said it already, but they're one of the cutest couples I think I've ever seen on film. I just relate, adore them so much. Catherine Newton was already a huge fan of her from a couple films we saw year, a couple years ago at this point. I think she was in Spontaneous. Is that right, Patrick? The one that you and I were like really surprised by? I want to say I she was in Spontaneous. So. Where people just blow so. up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she was <laughs> The lead of that. No, I mean, I that's, wanted, that's the, yeah, that's the movie. I forget if she's in it. Though. And Love and Monsters. I think she might've been in that too. Cause there were, there were a couple movies right there at the same fall time period that we covered that she was in. Anyway, check out Catherine Newton's phenomenal actress. I think she's amazing in this role. I think he's amazing in this role. And I noted in my first review on Letterboxd that one of the reasons for that is because they're not stars. They are mm -hmm. unknowns to most people. And they just disappear because we're not, there's no typecasting going on here. I'm not looking for a certain character that I have to overcome, you know, a history with. It's just, these are just Mark and Margaret to me in so many ways. It was really nice to just get lost in that. And I like that this is a slow burn of a romance. And I hesitate to even call it that. I mean, it is. And so being honest about it, but the reality is. It's so much more of a friendship and there's no rush into physical intimacy. Even being a time loop where you only have 18 hours. I can't think of another one that doesn't end with the two or doesn't have the two characters trying to essentially get in each other's pants. And the fact that that's never where we go, that they don't fall in quote love over the course of necessarily this first loop or whatever is really refreshing to me. And I like that it ultimately becomes this huge twist of the movie is not about finding someone you're in love with and getting out of the loop, which is what history of time loop movies has kind of made us start to think in a lot of ways. And so naturally we're following a character who we think is our protagonist who feels the same way. He's referencing all these movies and pop culture. That's where he's drawing his experience from. So that's what he thinks must be the answer. And that's the way he approaches it when he meets her. And then we get the rug pulled out from under us and we learn, and Mark says it beautifully, phenomenal dialogue. He just says, I thought it was a love story and I was the hero, but it wasn't about me. It wasn't my story at all. It's Margaret's. I am in this loop and I am part of her story. I'm here for her, not she's here for me. And it's just an incredible twist of the formula that elevates this so much in my opinion and is so respectful to both of these characters as individuals and as ultimately impactful and important to each other's growth and and lives and i think it's so cool and then the idea of the map it gets a little bit convoluted because time movies have to get convoluted. It's impossible to do this without some like weird kind of, I love when he goes to the teacher and the math teacher's like, I don't know who you are. He's like, I'm in your class. And he's like, no, you're not. I've never seen you before. And he's, he starts going off this checklist. He's like, so theoretically, could we be in a black hole? Nope. 
you know, could it be like, <laughs> I don't even remember what he said. Like, could it be in the center of the earth or like, you know, he's like just checking things off like one by one off of his crazy list. Right. And his teacher's just looking <laughs> at him. You are out of your mind, but you've got to try and figure out a way to solve it. And this was just so inventive, Patrick. And there's one great sequence of like visual effects where we kind of get to see the map, but just this idea of the map of tiny perfect things really it's just a reference for the idea of carpe diem of seizing the moment and that gets brought up in the film of living in the moment of taking in the beauty and the kind of fleeting nature of everything around you and everybody and every interaction you have and being aware of that that's what this is all about not trying to really truly find all of those perfect moments but i just think that Everything about their relationship is beautiful. And what Mark says about the map, he says, most of life is just junk. It's filler. And I think that's true for so many of us. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life dropping all the BS just for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it wanted to. I think the reality is it's if we paid attention to it, if we focused on it. It's not if life wanted to, it's if we allowed ourselves to approach it that way. And so I just think it's really beautiful. I, I love the scene of him creating the moon landing for her. It's so sweet and clever Yeah. at the same time. And the perfect example of something you could do in 18 hours to, to provide this unique experience for her and something that is going to be meaningful, but yet can be gone. And, you know, it's okay. So I, I just really love everything about the relationship. I did too. And, you know, I, I watch, I, I watch this and I go, is this George, Joseph Gordon Levitt's like long lost brother? Because it looked a little bit like him. And she was actually, uh, she played the daughter of one of the main characters in a TV show called Halt and Catch Fire, which is a phenomenal TV series. If you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. I think it's on Netflix now. It was on AMC. But yeah, she's they're both just phenomenal together. And I think it's because they really don't pull punches with one another. Like she can hold her own against with him and, and vice versa. And there is something magical about feeling like if you're witty and somebody else kind of challenges that wit with with their own you kind of get taken aback and like ah i've met my match let's sharpen our our swords and and go at it what i think is really great about this progression of the map one i want that map i want that prop i want to put it up in my office because i think hanging just, yeah that would be neat well there's two there's that one that's the mobile that shows the fourth dimension but i love his the way he draws it it's so just meticulous and just I love the way it looks, but what I think is great about this progression in finding those tiny, perfect things is they start out observing, you know, watching these moments. And then later on, there's this transition into actually participating because there's the moment where in particular, you have that group of skateboarders that are just biting it off of that set of stairs and then that girl comes up and just nails it and they're like oh my gosh that's awesome well later on mark does that he participates in that moment and there are other pockets where 
he or I think it's him mainly participates in those moments. He's not just watching, but it's in that particular moment where he fails, has to go to the hospital, and then he discovers her issue, why she has to leave every day at six or seven to go eventually see her mom. And by the way, Georgia Fox plays her mom. She's she's so so great. I remember her from her days on the West Wing. She was a Secret Service agent, and she moved over to another crime, you know, as another uh, strong lady in uh, CSI. But she's a she's a phenomenal actress, and uh, watching her in in that role is just really great. So I think that what made me enjoy that sequence of finding those perfect things is that it went from not just observation, although that's really nice. We can observe a sunset or the question mark cloud or the eagle that swoops up the the bird. To participate in that is would would be detrimental because we ruin the moment. But then there are other things that in the movie we see it's equally as valuable to participate in and to be a part of that. And I thought that was really beautiful because I think it's the movie telling us that seizing the day isn't just about observation and it's not just about participation. It's about both. That sometimes, as Ferris Bueller says, sometimes you gotta, you know, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. But that same kind of attitude, coincidentally, in Ferris Bueller was lived out in action. He didn't just stay home and watch the parade. He participated in the parade. And we get that in this movie. We get participation and observation. And we, Aaron, we get it of them independent of each other. And I think that's where the movie is equally as beautiful. They don't need each other to experience these beautiful things. They just experience these things because they are perfect. Their perfection, these things and their perfection, is independent of these two being together. And it's what makes that very ending, that last perfect thing being them together so, so beautiful. Because it wasn't a kiss that got them out of the loop. It was about the fact that they needed to recognize what a tiny perfect thing looked like and that they together could just could be that as well. Yeah, I love what she says too, in that moment where he's like trying to kiss her and she's like, Listen, I don't I can't right now. And He's like, but I want more. I don't know. I just, it feels so honest. It feels so genuine and so unmovie like to me. There's no forced nature. He's not a rude dude who tries to push her into something. He expresses his honest desire and he's very calm about it. He's not pushy. He's just honest and open and he's kind of sad and it's okay because he, he feels something for her and he wishes that this could be something that she's not ready for. And she just says, well, that's all I got. Take it or leave it. And ultimately, obviously, it's taking it because the friendship is important. And we get to that, you know, ultimate, I think, satisfying end of their relationship. But before that, we see what it's really about with her mom and how everything about this has been her trying to process grief and it's such a great depiction when you realize it and once you know it and that's why i think this movie holds up as a rewatchable i don't know if i've seen it three or four four times now i think it never gets old patrick because now i watch it and i know what she's doing the whole time and so those calls early in the film where jared's calling and he's getting kind of 
you know, antsy and like, would you please just let it go one time and doesn't know why it hits different when you're watching it and you know where she's going and what she's doing it for. And that, you know, now why she leaves the plane and why she can't go with him and why she's willing to let him reset his loop in her head. If that was to happen versus refusing to let her own, because that's how we, we deal with grief. We hold on to it. There's something both, incredibly painful but also comforting about it and that's what this comes down to is that ultimate moment with her mom where she says listen to me because i'm old and i know things it's true that we're losing time every day all the time until one day it's all gone but you're gaining it too every second perfect moments one after the other until by the end you have your whole life builds up you have everything and it costs you everything but it's worth it and i think that it's so beautiful that the decision and the understanding comes in a moment with her mom, not in a moment with him. It gets expressed and kind of explained to him at the lake there at the end. And she's talking to him and she's like, I think it's because when it's time to go, I wouldn't have to go alone. That's why you're here. You're here for me and it's time. And and then the, the way she describes it, I think is so vivid and smart she just says we're the ones sleeping because earlier in the film they talked about how everybody else feels like they're just sleepwalking and she says now we're the ones sleeping everyone else is awake and we're the ones that are dreaming i know it's going to hurt really bad but i think i have to wake up now and i just think that's so powerful because if you've lost a parent especially and i'll tell you like it hits home uh as someone who has even being pretty far removed now from that quite a few years, this brings that up. And it was my mom, go figure. But if you've, it could be any kind of grief of something that is incredibly hard for you to accept a major change in your life and being willing to put one foot in front of the other and say, what's important is acknowledging that part of my life that happened and it, the beauty of it and moving on to the next perfect moment that's waiting for me because it's there. I just have to know it's there. It may not be immediately, but it's there. And I just got to go after it. got to go get it. And so I think that this is so different because it's not just entertainment. Like it, it comes off as like, oh, it's just a casual teenage time loop riff movie. And it's way deeper than that and way deeper than a lot of time travel movies are. So yeah, yeah. I love everything about that story. Well, the, the ending is so special because of that line. It, I know it's going to hurt really bad. I mean, that's such an honest statement. And it's the ability to lean into the obvious pain that you know you're going to experience, but hoping for one of those perfect things to come along at some point. Because there's benefit to staying in that loop for her. She never has to say goodbye to her mom but her mom is always dying in that loop, perpetually dying. And when we think about time loop movies, I think what this movie does in particular that's different is it shows us that the loop is a gift to her and it's giving her time to be able to really absorb the pain, absorb the grief and to process. Because in real life, Aaron, when you lose someone, when something tragic happens, Life doesn't stop. You still have work to go to. You still have potentially a spouse to take care of, a child to take care of. 
you life does move on and your life can get very jaded by the fact that why is it even, you know, why should I even do this? Because I lost X, I lost this person. And so watching her from that perspective experience this, I, I feel like her mom was giving her permission to say, when you're ready, now that you know the answer, take your time with it. Now, how many times did she go through the loop after discovering that? I think it was, you know, the movie kind of depicts that when she had her aha moment, the seven o'clock at the pool, she was immediately kind of catapulted to that moment. But I think the, the loop allowed her the ability to process all that and to be able to not get rid of her grief or get rid of her pain, but to recognize that she needed to breathe for a little bit. And I thought that was really, really wonderful to be able to see that her reconciliation was not a kiss from a boy, but it was about companionship and someone to share those perfect moments that can be painful and those perfect moments that can be beautiful, like being able to return a dog. And I thought that was the I love that that's how it ends so much. Yeah. Chewbarca goes home. He does, right? And because and she can experience Chewbarca. Chewbarca. I mean, what what in the world is that? Um, and the, by the way, the real the name of the real dog is Lucy the Terrier. That's the name of the dog. The Terrier. <laughs> I love it. why it's the Terrier. Like Lucy the Terrier. <laughs> it's like Ivan the Terrible. But I think yeah, it's, it's very a, specific. Aaron the Human. Pun. Yeah. <laughs> oh oh oh! I bet you it is. Lucy the Terrier. Anyway, but I think that's what is so great. And it's almost like a stand-up comedy routine where the, the stand-up comic drops that joke early on in his routine and then he comes back to it at the end to sort of pay it off. And that's, for her, what it is. We get this, again, this MacGuffin of her sitting on the bench and, of course, the 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 van pulls up. and the Angel Wings. The Angel Wings is great. She slides over. Let's the guy sit down who had the angel wings originally. And then she looks up and there's the dog. And so what we think is, oh, great. She's going to finally be able to give that dog back to her owner. But then we're already reminded of the fact that until the next day when that dog gets lost again. But because she has chosen to give up the ghost of her mom and has started to live again, the loop ends. And what's the first thing she gets to do after kissing the boy? She gets to give the dog back. She gets to fulfill what it is that she's wanted to do this whole time. And that's a perfect thing for her. And I think it's a great way to end the movie because it reminds us that one, perfect things can be tiny and they can be insignificant to the rest of the world, but to you, they can matter. Two, you can experience them on your own or with somebody else. And three, anytime you rescue a dog named Chewbacca is a really great thing. So <laughs> that's good. It's a great way to end the movie. Yeah. It's a great way to end the podcast too, because I really don't have anything else unless you do. I think I've hit on all of the things that I love about this. I do think it's a perfect movie. I mean, it is a fantastic one. And I just hope that the five people that listen to this who've already seen it, <laughs> Is is not what's important to me. I, I, I honest to God, like I don't know who's going to see this or who has seen this to listen to this podcast other than JB Huffman. So shout out to you, JB, because I know you'll be there. Bring but it. <laughs> it's 
the hope that in just doing this, maybe by putting this episode out, someone out there will go, okay, I'm going to go watch that movie because they did an episode on it. And that's really, truly my desire. And that if that happens, it's a win. That's a life fulfilled right there. <laughs> Good a stuff, man. Fulfilled. A loop fulfilled. <laughs> the loop is closed if somebody can do that. That's, your, that's the way your loop gets closed. And that's going to do it for us on this episode of Feeling Film. We hope that you've enjoyed listening. And uh, give us a shout out in the Facebook group and our Discord channel. Let us know what you think. In the meantime, we are going to get ready for probably one of our favorite events every two years. And in this case, it's every year since 2020 screwed us. <laughs> We're going to get ready for the Olympics, starting with our coverage of Cool Runnings next week. And you don't want to miss that you are in for a treat because it's a great movie and we're going to have a blast talking about it. We're going to feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. We're going to get on up because it will be podcast time. And that may get said more than once. I'm pretty sure it will. Be sure to tune in for that. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.